In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Good morning, everyone. This is Pat McDonald back with you for the second hour of Vermont Viewpoint. Joining me today is Ben Doyle, who's the interim chair, still the interim, there you go, interim chair of the Montpelier Flood Recovery Commission. And he's also president of the Preservation Trust of Vermont. And we're talking about the commission and the Preservation Trust this morning. So welcome to the show, Ben. Oh, thanks, Pat. It's a yeah. great uh, thrill to be here. Yes. So give us your impression of this studio. He's the first time he's been here. Well, I have to say, it's like a dream come true. I've been listening <laughs> to WDEV for years and, you know, for the birds, to go music to go dump by, and to actually see this place, you know, as a historic preservationist, I feel like we need to put a preservation easement <laughs> on the studio. Uh, it, it looks mm-hmm. fantastic. You keep waiting for Humphrey Bogart to walk yeah. through and do something. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's changed much over the years, but I try to get people to come into the studio because it just adds to the whole yeah. atmosphere of radio. Well, it's the um, highlight of my day. I can yeah, tell well, you well thank you. That's great. We're glad to, we're glad you're here. Um, so could you talk, let's talk a little bit about, well, let me stop a minute. What you have a wonderful background. Could you talk a little bit about you? Uh, sure. You know, um, I, uh, I grew up in the Northeast Kingdom in a small town called Sutton. And that, honestly, that's just really affected my career choices of what I wanted to do. I've uh, done a couple different things. I've worked for the Peace Corps for a number of right. years. I was I a that. high school English teacher. Um, but uh, really just very interested in issues of community and economic development and how we help small towns thrive. And my previous role before this one, I was the assistant state director at USDA Rural Development, which is a oh, federal yes. agency right, right. to uh, improve the quality of life and economic vitality of rural America. And then three years ago, I took a job as president of the Preservation Trust of Vermont. That's and um, yeah, our, our mission as an organization is to build community through the preservation of historic buildings, villages, and downtowns. And we got those, don't we? We certainly <laughs> do. We got them in spades. <laughs> yes, we do. So um, now you're you're part of uh, or interim chair of the Montpelier Flood Recovery Commission. You've taken on quite a challenge. Yeah, you know, it's... Um, it is a challenge, but I also just, you know, like a lot of people, I just really love Montpelier. Right. You know, I'm a citizen of Montpelier. My kids were born there, and uh, I really believe in the town. Yeah. And, you know, um, I participated in the community forums that Paul Costello, uh, former right. director of the Vermont Council on Rural Development, put together. And, you know, it was I've, I've gone to a lot of community meetings throughout my career and worked on a lot of community development projects, but I was totally inspired by, like, the passion of the community right. and the commitment to the town. And, you know, there there are some moments there in the flood where it felt kind of existential. Like, yeah, what does right. the future of Montpelier look like? And, you know, just to really see the community come together and want a positive vision for Montpelier, I really felt like if there was an opportunity to serve, um, I wanted to. And, um, you know, we've really assembled a, a great group of people yeah. that are equally committed to Montpelier and have some great skill sets and talents. Well, I was just going to say, you have got, there's 15 people on the commission, and um, the breadth of knowledge yeah. 
will really help you um, a lot because you've got architects and you have all of these different people with bring stuff important to the table. So I think that was well well selected, good group of people put together. Thank you. That's you great. know, and I think uh, it is. It's an incredibly impressive group of people. Right. I, I mean, frankly, I'm like, no. I don't know how did I, I end here? up in this room, <laughs> but uh, it's a really incredible group of people. Like you know, we've got folks like as you mentioned, right. architects like right. Greg Gossens, who's a great architect in Montpelier, or you know, Peter Walk, who was so important um, in the immediate recovery, working right. with Public Montpelier State, Alive, right. or Katie Trouse, the director of Montpelier yep. Alive. It really is a broad group of people that lots of people who have expertise around the river corridor and floodplains and hazard mitigation. Um, but then we also have like Paul Carnahan, who's a historian of Montpelier, who understands like the history of the 1927 right. flood. Right. And so it really is a really good group of people with skills. But I would say, you know, we've only had one meeting. Um, and what impressed me most was this group's ability to work together and vision right. together. It's a, a people well, who are really committed to common cause for common sure. Cause. Yeah, oh, that's great. And this is where politics just gets aside. It's, no politics, yeah. people. That's great. So are you still the interim because they were supposed to vote on a uh, you got your hand we're, raised for that? Well, yeah, we're going to vote right. on that on Thursday. Oh, you know okay. what I like to say is like, um, you know, first prize, you're appointed to a commission and second prize, you get to chair it. Exactly. Well, that's right. What, so so, uh, but yeah, we're, you know, if um, we have a lot of great leaders on the commission and somebody's going to, and I'm certainly willing to do it if, okay. if asked. Well, let's talk about these three forums that Paul uh, um, held. And boy, they couldn't have picked a better person. Yeah. Paul's, uh, Paul's excellent at facilitating. Um, the first event was um, up at the college, I believe, right? It was. Yeah. yeah it was and something. I watched it on Zoom. Um, and that was, well, you can talk about it was to get people to. About 300 people were in the room, and I think an equal amount like me were on Zoom. Yeah. You know, um, as you mentioned, Paul, he was the longtime executive director of the Vermont Council on Rural Development. Right. And his, he's had an incredible career of helping communities vision who they are and who they want to be. And, you know, as a citizen of Montpelier, I think he just really stepped up to put these forums together. And that first forum in particular, I think, really set the tone for everything to come afterwards. Right. And, you know, truthfully... It was really pretty soon after the flood and it felt really raw. And I think what was most important about that initial meeting was just giving people the opportunity to share their stories, right? Like yep. it, we didn't really need to brainstorm like what's next and what are the great ideas. It was really just about what are you feeling? Right. What happened to you? Um, what are you scared of? What are you hopeful for? Right. And, you know, um, yeah, it was just a great turnout. You know, I would say at least 300 people in person and then, you know, maybe an equal number on Zoom. Um, and and it was just – I think it was, to be honest, like a moment to just pause and grieve because I think a lot of people were really traumatized. Yeah. And um, and you gave them an outlet to talk. Yeah. And, and amongst – 299 other people who pretty much suffered the same thing to some to some level, and they all understood that it was heart-wrenching, to tell you the truth. I was listening to some of the stories going, good, I can't even imagine. I, I just lucked out. I live in Berlin, and I'm up on a hill, and I lucked out. You know, I think it's important really to remember through all of these kinds of processes <clears> – <throat> the people who were there who came and shared their stories, those were the ones that were able to. 
right? Uh, and there are a lot of point. people, I think, in Montpelier and, and play, I mean, I've, yeah, no. I've actually in my job been able to travel around to other communities that were impacted. And you know, are there are a lot of people who are experiencing real trauma right. who don't, right. don't have the capacity to go out and participate in a large public meeting. And so I think the work of this commission, for example, is we've got a lot of really people with leadership ability and high capacity, right. in this, but we need to constantly be remembering who are the people, you know, there's a certain degree of privilege that we have to be able to participate in these kinds of things. Right. And who are the people that are not at that table and how can we best engage them in a way that works for them? That's great. Um, I, well, I, I think my work in, the, in state government over the years, if you just hear people out, mm-hmm. they'll calm down and help mm-hmm. in the solution. But um, they just want to commend you on that. The second meeting was at the State House, and uh, people broke into smaller groups and and took all the notes from the first meeting and tried to organize them. Then the third meeting was a little more detailed on what is what are priorities because there's a realism here that yeah. that has to enter into it. Um, uh, you know, it's got to be doable. It's got to be affordable, and um, um, uh, and it's, so it's important that that logic. Because in, in my mind, and I think it was great that the town, that the city um, had that big grand opening. Because if yeah. you can uh, start doing things that people can see we're moving, that it'll it'll get done. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, I think success breeds success for yeah. sure. So now that uh, the commission's ready, are those are all the priorities that came from those forums? Are they in front of you at the moment? And what's happening now? What yeah, you, you know, I mean, doing? maybe if I could just talk a little please. bit about the relationship between the forums and the and the commission. Yeah, please. You know, the idea is. Um, you know, when you do a pub- big public process like that and you identify a bunch of priorities, you can find 20 things to do and get none of them done. Or you can prioritize three or four right. and really yeah. move that work forward. And, you know, there were so many hundreds of people that were in- engaged in the forums and and prioritized those things and want to move them forward. The work of the commission really is not to do the work ourselves or not to make a to-do list for city government to do. Right. It's to surface opportunities for the community to become engaged and move mm-hmm. things forward. That's right? Great. So, like, there's a priority. One of the priorities that was identified was like strengthen the infrastructure around the wastewater system. That's hugely important. You know, our our, our wastewater treatment plant um, was okay and was not damaged during um, the storm, but right. it might be during the next one, right? And so that's a huge priority. Your average everyday citizen probably isn't going to get involved in hardening the infrastructure of the wastewater system, right. but. Um, There are other things that the broader community can do in terms of like imagining what a resilient downtown looks like or strengthening response efforts like neighbor to neighbor interactions and things like that. And I must say kudos to Montpelier Alive because uh, you could also submit your suggestions online, which I did. God forbid I should step back and keep quiet. But um, so they not only were the 300 people in some of these meetings, but you were also able to participate online, which was which was really good. So um, what there's actually a document on the website that details the role of the director, which is rather extensive. Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, sure. Well, so I probably should say just right up front, too, that the commission – you know, was really convened or put together, you know, as a response to the forums, but um, by the Montpelier Alive, right, the right. Montpelier Foundation, and the City of Montpelier. So right. those three organizations kind of got together right. and said, you know, they saw the need coming out of the 
forums to have this kind of entity. And, you know, it, it, it's based on other models of communities that have experienced this kind of flooding, including Waterbury right. from After Irene. Oh, for sure. And um, so the idea is that we've got this commission that will serve really like a board of directors to help with visioning and things like that. And then we hope and we're raising money for right now to hire a director, oh, you know, that can be somebody who's, you know, it's their their job, like, right. you know, uh, to really – I like to think that this person's job will be to um, relentlessly and optimistically bird dog opportunities for good things to happen in Montpelier right. in response to the flood. And I'm sure that he or she will be well received because the response after the flood from those who live in Montpelier and around the whole area Absolutely. was phenomenal. Absolutely. I mean, they just came out of the woodwork. I think they had uh, Montpelier Alive ultimately had over 2,000 volunteers. Yeah, can you imagine? I mean, my, uh, I'll give a shout out to my son, Sal, who might be home listening that, you know, he's 12 years old and he was mucking out the movie theater. Oh, good for him. I tried that mucking out, Sal. I couldn't do it. I'm too old. It was like lifting cement. So good for you. <laughs> really, it was, it was awful. Um, there's also... Um, uh, about the initiatives, they they established ten priorities already. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk about those priorities and uh, sure um, see what's what yeah, people think? Yeah, again, I think the role of the commission is really to help um, kind of move those priorities right. forward, right? So um, one is to you know one of the first priorities identified was really recognizing that flooding like this isn't just really about downtown Montpelier or downtown Barry or downtown Johnson. It's these entire watersheds, right? right? Like right. that's the the conversation can't be in isolation with one town. And so the idea is, you know, can Montpelier participate in a larger watershed-wide conversation and in some some ways convene that conversation or provide leadership for it? So, you know, that's really thinking about our neighbors, you know, how do we open up floodplain, right. you know, things like that. So that's one priority that's been identified. And, you know, the commission, we have some great people, including people from the state who work on floodplain work. Or right. the state hazard mitigation officer serves on the commission, so we'll have some great leadership around having that working with regional planning, such a one. And then there's other examples of other priorities like um, build a resilient and adaptive downtown, right? And so that's thinking about the physical infrastructure in the city, in the downtown, and how do we make it more resilient for future flooding? That could be how do we help businesses move their utilities up to the second right. floor? How do we do um, you know use new materials that that are more flood resistant. You know, I think everybody recognizes that Montpelier is going to flood again. And the question is, right, how do we make it as resilient as possible and make that um, as painless as possible when it does happen? Yeah, I'd like to encourage people to go to the website um, to see all the documents that are there. I'm looking at a a priority for action list, um, which which is just so comprehensive, and it really talks about... uh, as, as Ben just said, uh, the wastewater system, the adoptive downtown, um, and how do you meet everybody's uh, needs? And will all of these meetings be on the web? Will it be by Zoom by any chance? Or you know, I, they they're they're not pl- we're not planning for that. Okay. Um, what we're doing right now is again we've only met once. Yeah, we're meeting right. again on Thursday, yep. and then we're going to be looking for opportunities just to just engage the community again. Okay. You know, we feel like there's really been this really robust community engagement process through yep. the forums, right. and now. You know, there's this dedicated team that's going to look to how do we take those great ideas 
provide an opportunity for action, and then re-engage community members to help move those forward. So there'll definitely be opportunities for people to engage with the commission. And we can always, um, you can email us uh, at um, Montpelier Flood Commission at gmail.com, or as you mentioned, the Montpelier Strong um, website, uh, which is an opportunity to- Great stuff. Yeah, it it really is. So where will these meetings be held? Because they obviously are open to the public if anybody wanted to come in. Well, right now, they actually, we're, we're, uh, right now, they're not open oh, to the public, okay. right? It's, a, yeah. um, but we are soliciting input from the Good. public and oh, we see. plan to, like, engage okay. and provide opportunity for public comment with the commission. Perfect. Um, right now, we're kind of, uh, a traveling roadshow in Montpelier <laughs> trying to find meeting space. Uh, last time we met at Vermont League of Cities and Towns, we're actually, shout out to the Kellogg Hubbard Library, who's oh, opening yes, up, right. uh, space for us. That's to a meet good this place because there's parking yeah. there as yeah, well. Yeah, right. That's great. I, um, I don't envy your task because uh, and you also need to address you know, what they call the low hanging fruit because mm. people will see action yeah. if if you do stuff and keep doing things people will um, will keep their interest up because you know how that sort of goes. I met with Bill Fraser. He's coming on the show this Thursday. And I was sort of interviewing him uh, for another thing I do. And he brought us on tour. Mm. And while the uh, city town hall or city hall looks mm. good from the outside, oh, yeah. what a mess. Yeah. And people need to be reminded that even though the city on the surface looks mm-hmm. okay it isn't yeah they've people really are hurting yeah they've you know and i should mention too that um we have both a representative from city council on the commission oh, Laura Hurl, and then bill who's not officially on the commission but yeah. serves as liaison yeah. with the city and you know they really they have a herculean task in front of them yeah. under difficult circumstances and well really i mean not only the town but their own office space Absolutely. i mean what yeah. the whole down to the whole bottom is just gutted. Yeah. And um, uh, I just, uh, and I don't know, I, I really complimented him um, because how do you do both well? Yeah. And yeah. he is. He's doing a great job. Yeah. Uh, my big fear is always mold. And I think, you know, when restaurants open or stores, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to protect your employees. Well, you know, that's actually really interesting that you bring that up. Uh, some of the businesses that I've talked to that are located, you know, in some of the historic buildings have always had kind of moisture infiltration issues, right? right? Yeah. And that this last time, some of them have really taken this as an opportunity to do the right kind of mitigation to ensure that they're right. not going to get mold, right? So that there's always been a kind of musty smell in some of these buildings, and they're really taking the time to do to do it right to make sure that they can address those yeah. issues. Well. Can I just say one yes, other thing, please. Pat? Like, just thinking about what you just said about kind of low-hanging fruit to right. show progress. Like, I totally agree, right? And, um, you know, one of the things that we've been um, kind of tracking as a commission is um, just on Front Porch Forum, right, where everybody's talking about everything. Yeah, right. Uh, but there's just been a lot of concern around the federal building in Montpelier. Oh, my husband said he heard something on the post office, which is in the federal building. Exactly. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of – the post office right now is kind of a traveling road show. Right. Around Montpelier, right. where people can get their mail, and you know that's understandable given that the building is just totally devastated. Yeah. But I think that there's a real concern about what's the long-term vision from the government service agency and the postal service right. about a, um, uh, a post office in the downtown. And so the commission's really going to be advocating that look that that da- that post office has to be downtown, <laughs> and it can actually serve as an opportunity to build a resilient federal building uh, or or um, harden the infrastructure around the existing right. building. 
to ensure, you know, it could be a model for the nation because we're not going to be the only state capital that's going to be facing climate issues. And, but I just feel like, and the commission feels that the, the post office is such a symbol of what a community is. It's such a gathering place. It's, right. it's the most visible interaction that we have with the federal government. Right. And that's why we need to have it downtown to demonstrate that the government believes in Montpelier. Is the building itself structurally uh, uh, damaged? You know, my understanding um, is that structurally, uh, my okay. understanding, you know, and yeah. I'm an outside individual yeah, right. here, but that structurally it's okay, but the systems have really been devastated. Oh. Things like the boilers, right. um, the elevator, obviously. Right. But, you know, I know that GSA is working on the building and, um, you know, uh, all the federal agencies that are located there, I think, hope to return. Yeah, good. Well, I guess I'm assuming Barry and, and other uh, areas around have picked up the slack because, uh, thank goodness, our post, our mail keeps coming. So kudos to whoever's working so hard on that. Uh, and that's just you look at the building and you don't think anything's wrong. Yeah. And and yet you go inside or downstairs and – yeah. Well, just awful. You know what amazed me? I talked to Bill. I'm going to talk to him on Thursday. When I was commissioner of personnel during the 1991 flood. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I can't remember what happened to the U.S. Post Office at that time because they must have been flooded out too. I mean, it was all all of State Street. But I complimented Katie Trouts because they put on their website a picture, aerial view of where the flood plane way more than the 1991 mm. flood. I mean, it was just mm. everywhere. I was very mm-hmm. shocked. Mm-hmm. Bill has in the um, city hall the 1991 flood mark, mm. and then yeah. this, and much higher. I mean, yeah. a couple of feet higher. Yeah, yeah. Really scary. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you really want to be scared, yeah. look at photos of the 1927 flood. Oh, what that, is it? I mean, really just like knocking, you know, certainly the buildings this time around were inundated. But, you know, the kind of devastation from 27 when buildings were just knocked off their foundation and things like that. And, you know, I just if I could, like, you know, I really think about that 27 flood in relation to what we're doing now. Right. And, you know, um, certainly Montpelier has continued to experience flooding events, but nothing like 1927. And that's because people had the vision right, and the right. commitment to build things like the Wrightsville Reservoir. Right. Right. And so I'm not suggesting we build another Wrightsville, <laughs> right? But it's like that <laughs> kind of commitment to the future yep. and that kind of visionary thinking is what we need today as people who are going to roll up their sleeves and say, you know, we're going to do hard things to make sure that this place is around. Because look at all the awards that Montpelier has received from other outside entities, the best small. I mean, all of this, the best sort of awards, and that's quite a goal to get back up there, and I bet they will. Well, yeah, there's a lot of great towns in Vermont. And, you know, I like to say if you've seen one small town, you've seen one small town. But I'm going to oh, be no. honest. I <laughs> I really I do love Montpelier. It's a special place. Yeah, it is. It's it's great. Uh, and I do. I love the, the picture of, of the water because it just surrounded the state mm. house. Yeah. And, and nothing, of course, happened to our state house, which yeah. would be. Uh, a crime, but um, I'm glad to see all the stores starting to Absolutely. open up. That's great. So, um, I guess when you you be meeting on a regular basis with the commission is, and I think once you get a director, that'll really move it along. Yeah, yeah. that'll be great. Yeah. Um, I think. Uh, God bless your son for helping out. I, I couldn't move that mud for nothing. I finally <laughs> gave up. I, it was like moving cement. Yeah, it's pretty much so Forget this. Um, anyway, um, I, I wanted to switch, unless you wanted to talk more about the commission, but I, I think it's important for folks to know what's there and working. And um, on the on the uh, website, there's a list of all of the members. Yep. 
And as we just said, they're just cover every basis that you could possibly want expertise on. They're there at the table, which is good. So I would like to talk a little bit about uh, the Preservation Trust, which I apologize, don't know too much about, although I've certainly heard of it and understand its mission. But maybe you could talk a little bit about the trust and sure. Your role. Yeah, no, I'd happy to. It's, I feel like it's a, uh, kind of undiscovered secret sometimes. <laughs> you know, exactly. it's a, you know, as I mentioned before, I worked for a kind of very large federal agency yeah. with a lot of resources. Um, but I, dur- there I was able to work with Paul Brune, who was the previous executive oh, yes, director of, sure. of the trust. And I always thought that he was having more fun <laughs> and being more effective than I was. So when this position became available, I, you know, I jumped at it. And so the, the role of the preservation trust, as I mentioned before, is to oh, yeah. build community through the preservation of historic buildings, villages, and downtowns. And we do that in a lot of different ways. But the most simple way to think about it, I I think, is that we're a small town's first and longest friend when they have a building that they want to save, you know? And so that could be a town hall, it could be a church, it could be a general store, you know, but we get calls all the time of like, we're really worried about this building because it's an important gathering place for our community and we don't want to lose it. And we'll stay with them as long as it takes. We're talking about the flood and how much of your time got involved with the, I mean, everything here is historic. So it must have kept you very busy and still with some of the buildings and their condition. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I You know, I should say at the Preservation Trust, we have a really fantastic uh, field service team, you know, of folks that are historic preservationists and just totally passionate about historic buildings right. and incredibly knowledgeable about what it takes to preserve them. And, you know, we've been, we've, you know, for uh, over 40 years been working with communities and helping them save buildings. But during the flood, um, you know, we really pivoted to really focus on how do we support these communities that were impacted right. and, you know, working with our state and federal partners to understand which communities were most impacted and then what are the historic resources in those communities. And, you know, a lot of what we do in our in our work regularly is, you know, if a community has a building that they're particularly interested in preserving, we'll work with them to either find an architect or uh, an engineer who can do a building conditions assessment uh, and just to let them know what they have, right. what's important, right. what they need to prioritize in maintaining the building. Uh, and so during the flood, we've really been able to pivot and focus on doing that, but with an eye towards flood mitigation strategies, right, of like not only how do you repair what has been damaged, but how do you do so in such a way to make it resilient for the future. You know, we're pushing, uh, and rightly so, pushing to get all of the uh, equipment that was once in the basement upstairs. Who, this is how my little mind works, How who looks at the floor of, so when you're putting all of this equipment on top of the floor. Mm-hmm. Who looks at the floor to say it can it's, take it. it's okay? Yeah. Is, are there people that are going to look at that stuff? Because I don't think you can just move boilers upstairs. Right. No. You, they definitely. There should be people yeah, looking there should at be. it. Yeah. And I, you know that that's the kind of stuff that we're uh, involved in, mostly for municipally owned or yeah. nonprofit owned buildings. But you know, in in flood impacted communities, we're also providing that service for privately owned commercial buildings oh, to help them right. um, think about that. You know, I also just say like even kind of like returning to Montpelier a little bit, you know, um, there's real opportunities here to think about how do we do what's next instead of just replace what we had, even moving it up to the second floor. You know, we have, for example, a district heat plant in Montpelier that's not at full capacity rather than replace an oil boiler. Even on the second floor, you know, is there an opportunity to extend the district heat 
using ah, a renewable resource, right? right? right. So there's just right. kind of opportunities like like that. But to your question, you know, our team does work with with building owners um, to kind of and communities to think about how can you make these adaptive um, changes to your building and right. still preserve the historic character that gives Vermont. Uh, a unique sense of place. Right, because it is a beautiful town. It, it and is. we've got such a balance of restaurants and stores yeah. and funky funky ins and outs, and yeah. it's kind of cool. So, And what's nice is even at nighttime when you walk around, there's activity. Yeah. Uh, um, positive, up, up the yeah, activity, right, right, right. I might add. But anyway, um, we had um, in the Department of Personnel, we were on the corner of State and opposite the pavilion, I forget the name, but Five of us got hit by mold. Oh, wow. A week, it felt, first it felt like a heart attack. Mm. And then we all went up, not together, but individually. Yeah. And day, one day after another, five, all women, which was, I thought, very strange. Wow. Um, and we were up in the hospital with, um, oh, no. Oh, yeah. With, um, mold issues. Yeah. And, um, the Department of Health came in and just about ripped out the entire basement. You have to be really careful about that stuff. You really do. You know, and I'll, I'll just say that, you know, dealing with historic buildings too, you know, I, uh, often energy, uh, Efficiency is a concern, and rightly so. And but it's just really important to do that well, right. you know, to exactly. have somebody that understands. Because not all buildings are the same, yeah. you know, and it really needs to be a building by building approach to make sure that you have the appropriate airflow. That you know, the the worst thing you can do is is a bad energy uh, efficiency job in a historic building because it can really damage, you know, what right. you're trying to preserve. Uh, are you uh, working on specific buildings now in downtown and, and uh, trying to – are you free to talk about them or um – yeah, no, okay. we can. I mean, I, I would say like we've uh, in downtown Montpelier. I mean, yeah, right, trust. right. Yeah, you know, we're working with um, actually a couple of the churches that were. Really uh, oh yes, I heard was it Christchurch. Christchurch was really that was really uh, hit hard. Severely wasn't it? impacted. Yeah, and Bethany Church was really impacted. Oh. Uh, I, the Unitarian Church was impacted to a lesser degree, and actually, I think just reopened the Sunday for oh, services, good for which them. is a good. great thing. But yeah, there's plenty of there's plenty of work to do. You know, and I think. Something that's really important to consider with all of this too is that this is this is the work of years, yep, right. right? Not much. I mean, I actually remember talking to Sue Minter about this. You know, who uh, right. I know was really right. important during Irene. You know, she she said that you really need to think short term and long term, and in an event like this, short term is two years, wow. right? That the long term is uh, it's going to take years. Yep. Well, that's why I, I hope that this station and others will just keep gently reminding people yeah. that it's not fixed yet and that yeah. we still need their support and, and both financial and, and uh, you know, physical to get out and, and help because, oh. Yeah, you know, and I would just say to that, like, uh, going back to kind of our work at the Preservation Trust, you know, um, obviously I'm personally involved with Montpelier, but when we visit communities around the states that were Im- impacted, you know, Montpelier is frankly a really well-resourced community. You know, we're going to be okay. There are a lot of small towns out there that were impacted that right. when you go and visit them, it's like a single town administrator yeah. trying to navigate right. FEMA, SBA, right. you know, trying to stand up local support groups. There's a lot of communities that we really need to keep our attention focused on them and circle back again and right. again to right. just make sure that they're not forgotten. 
Yeah, we have uh, somebody from FEMA coming on on uh, on Thursday to announce uh, an extension of uh, of uh, the the time to file because it's just overwhelming for these people. Absolutely. Yeah. So Ben, how do you pick your projects? What do you <clears throat> do? They come to you? Do you go to them? I mean, and what's the criteria for yes, we can help you? You know, I think it happens uh, a lot of different ways. You know, um, if we see a historic building that we know is in trouble, we'll often reach out right. to the owners and see if there's a way that we can help. Uh, a lot of it's kind of word of mouth. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes, again, we we will – I'm not kidding. Like, we'll work on a project for a decade, wow. you know. And so we have these kind of ongoing relationships with communities. Um and, you know, we have uh, certainly areas of priority that we try to focus on, thinking really about, like, our, our villages and our downtowns. What does a compact village center right. look like? And how do we revitalize the historic buildings that are there? We have a real focus on um, general stores and supporting community-supported general stores, which means like a nonprofit-owned general store, you know, in places like Elmore or Albany. Right. We've worked a lot on that kind of stuff. So we do have some kind of strategic priorities, but typically what happens is somebody – uh, it doesn't always have to be somebody who works for the town. Right. It's just a local community champion loves that building yep. and they're really worried about it. And they call us and they say, what do we do? Yep. And we're just there to, I don't want to say hold their hand, but like mm-hmm. we're partners with them for as long as it takes to help them. And is them. there funding? Can you provide them grants? Do you get funding from the feds, from the state? Yep. Um, we, we, yes, yep. we provide a lot of technical assistance, yep. right? Like helping them understand what to do. We actually help people figure out how to fundraise like oh, nobody great. wants to ask for money no, right. oh, I hate but that. but but there are tricks that you can do and ways that you can do it to kind of yeah. like you know get the confidence up and, and go ask because people will support things yeah. like that but then we also offer a number of different grant programs um to help people implement projects and some of those are funded by you know uh, family foundations um some of them are um sub grant programs from the national park service uh, actually thanks to the leadership of senator Leahy, we mm. were able to receive some congressionally directed spending awards right. to help community supported general stores and village revitalization efforts. So, but you know, the best thing that we're, the thing that we do best at the preservation trust is spend other people's money, right? <laughs> so we look to our state like partners and our philanthropic like partners and, and try to like package all of that funding right. together so that it's used strategically to help folks. Where is your building? I'm just, it's our like- building, our office is located on the corner of state and Maine in Montpelier. The oh, Bank I, oh, okay, cool. For years, it, it was, was located on Church Street, yeah. uh, actually in a building that Paul grew up in. Oh, no uh, kidding. But we have, a couple of years ago, we moved to Montpelier. Oh, okay, cool. Um, because it, it, being downtown is just great. That's, you know? yeah, we, that's what we're about. Right. So that's why we're there. Uh, ben, maybe you could, besides all the flood, um, what other projects have you or are you working on right now? Yeah, you know, I think last year, if I get this right, we worked on something like 250 projects in 140 towns. And, you know, some of those are just like providing a little bit of technical assistance. But some of them, it's like for the long haul, being with a project or providing grant funding. We work – it's really the best part of the job is you get to meet these people who are, again, these local community champions who are trying to do something, you know – to save a place that they love. And, you know, so I'm not allowed to have favorite projects, but I have some projects that I I really love. Like right now we're working with this incredible group of people 
in Bellows Falls to mm. save the Miss Bellows Falls Diner. Oh, which, I like, read about that it's, somewhere. It's fantastic. It's, you know, yeah. this group of people who just, like, love the diner as a gathering place, right? Like, totally egalitarian. Right. It closed during COVID. And, you know, these local folks got together. They raised $100,000 in wow. six weeks to purchase the And diner. an old-fashioned diner with oh, the chrome yeah. everywhere. It's and, a 1943 oh. Worcester yep. oh, diner. It. And, you know, they actually, on their own, we didn't help them with this, they discovered that, like, the premier diner expert in America lives in Boston. They called him up. He came up and toured the diner. And it's really in remarkable condition. Great. And, you know, it's going to be an expensive rehab, but they're they're doing it, you know, and it's them. those kinds of projects that are just su- super fun. You, know? now you mentioned barns before on mm-hmm. the break. Uh, how involved are you in in our barns and covered bridges by any chance? Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> That's cool. Yeah, it is cool. We have a, a, a barn assessment program, uh, which is uh, a matching grant that, you know, if you're uh, if you own if you're private residence and you own a barn, a uh, historic barn, and you're like, what, what do I do? How do I save right, this? Right. Or I'm worried about it caving in. You can call us and we'll work with you to find a preservationist or timber framer who can do an assessment of the barn and provide you with a written report that says, this is the style of barn you have. This is the history of this barn. Uh, these are the priorities. Uh, these are the things that you really need to work on to preserve it. And with that kind of assessment, you can then go out and find, you know, we can try and help you find right. a contractor that could do that. There's also some grant programs yeah, uh, available right. from uh, our partners at the Division for Historic Preservation at the mm-hmm. state. Um, and, you know, using the assessment that we're able to help you provide, you can apply for grant funds from them. I don't, we didn't lose any covered bridges or barns this storm, did we? Or did we? No. Uh, not that, not that I'm familiar with. Because we did during Irene. Absolutely. Oh, those yeah. pictures were heartbreaking were. watching the go down the stream. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm glad. You know, actually, just one covered bridge project that I'm really excited about is the Paddleford Trust Trust Bridge in Lindenville. Oh. You know, which is a bridge that, uh, you know, it's really, um, there's only a couple like this bridge left in New England. And there's this really, you know, as you're coming into town off of 114 in Lindenville, it's really kind of the gateway to this, uh, to the community. And they're really doing an incredible job of, you know, the bridge was pretty much in risk of falling into the river. And uh, it was privately owned and they donated it to the town. And the town has really taken leadership in raising funds to completely restore this bridge. And it's going to be the kind of center point of a new park. And it's really, you know, there's so much great outdoor recreation happening in like East Burke and things like that. That This will be like the gateway to the downtown. And the bridge, you know, uh, Lindenville prides itself on being the covered bridge capital of Vermont. And, you know, this is going to be really the premier thing coming into their town. Uh, My husband and I used to ride motorcycles in our youth. And we (laughs) we led uh, motorcycle tours in Vermont to go to visit the covered bridges. Wow. You have lived your life. (laughs) (laughs) It was so, what it feels when you go through the yeah. bridge, especially, I don't know, the most some bridges, the both sides are raised uh-huh. and the middle is lower uh-huh. for the wagon wheels. Uh-huh. And may I say, on a motorcycle, once you picked a lane, there was no, no crossing, yeah. no wobbling, no nothing. Yeah. And you just had to go. And it was just fabulous going yeah. through these things with a, yeah. with a group of motorcyclists behind you. Yeah. It was really cool. I love, uh, well, I do love Vermont. So, um, and the barns, were you involved in the uh, youth conservation restoration of that barn? That was an amazing. It, yeah. I, I certainly wasn't, but the yeah, preservation but, yeah, trust right, was right. a key partner in that yeah. project. Yeah. And we're actually um, providing some advice and assistance on the, 
I believe it's the West Monitor Barn that they're working on now. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, nice. yeah. They're, you know, the two Monitor Barns yep, in Richmond, right, and right. one was over a decade ago yeah. that they restored, and now they're restored. I've been the other. to some meetings in that barn um, oh, over the years, space. and what a great space to meet. Yeah. And yeah. you just feel committed, but part of the community when you're in there. Cool. Well, you know what I uh, love about that example, too, is, you know, Youth Conservation Corps, that's such an incredible organization, right? right? Like doing right. great work all over the state. And it's just, it's fantastic when you find an old building. Like an old building is just an old building, right? But when you can find a, a spectacular old building like that and then put a great organization doing good work in it, right. when you can find that adaptive reuse, right. that's what it's all about. That is great. It's beautiful. And for those of you who uh, – it's when you're on the on 89 yeah. – Looking over to your right in If you're going north on 89, it's on, yep, oh, yeah. Richmond. No, Richmond. Oh, I'm sorry, Richmond. You can see it right off the highway, and it's just fabulous. Yeah, it's beautiful great. building. Always got cars, and it's being put to good use. Absolutely. Which is great. Gives it a new life. Yeah. A lot of TLC. So um, how do you think we're going to be doing going forward with all the flooding and all the work that you all are doing? And can you – do you take um, – Donations, finding we, we we do. Let's yeah, get serious. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks let's, for that, Pat. Uh, Turkey. Yeah, no, we we are. You know, we uh, as I said, we sub grant some funds from the uh, federal government, but we are supported by private donations. That's how we do this kind of work. And um, you know, in terms of like, how do you? I think we're going to be doing coming out of this flood, like. I'm contractually obligated to be optimistic and I, and I am by nature. Yeah, I can tell from your face. Well, yeah, I, you know, here's the thing is like, I really, uh, I believe that the future is rural. Right. I really believe that people are going to be coming from cities for a variety of reasons, whether it's climate change or other issues. Right. And I think that they're going to find their way to Vermont. And the question is, we have this housing crisis in Vermont. Where are they going to go? Right. You know, and I, I grew up in a small village in the Northeast Kingdom. You know, it was a great place to grow up. And when I go over there today, it's not as vibrant as it could be. Right. And so I feel like we have an opportunity to restore this built infrastructure in our villages and our downtowns to kind of like welcome these people. They don't all right. have to go to Burlington. Right. 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 They can yeah. they can go to Belvedere, too. Yes. Right. And so I think there's an opportunity there. And I think we're going to do just fine. I think we just need to really hold on to what makes this place special and uh, and 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 welcome the people that want to be here, too. Well said. I like it. Oh, that's great. Because. um I feel sorry for the young people who don't get it, who don't understand the history here. A lot of them do, fortunately, from their parents. But um, you know, you've got to you've got to retain that heritage. History is important. Well, you know, I think as somebody who grew up here, and I had that classic thing of like, I moved away for yeah, a decade, right? Like, the day back. after I graduated high school, I'm like, I'm out of here, yeah, you know. And, and now I'm like, work for the Preservation right. Trust of Vermont, right? And I think uh, there is something special about this place, right. right? It's the downtowns, the villages, but the working landscape, the mountains, right. all of it. And I do think uh, if you've grown up here or even just come right. here on vacation, right. like you, you appreciate it, it yeah. is a special I place. I think I always like the statistics about the uh, young people when they leave like you. Uh, and I did that in New Jersey, too, by the way. I just <laughs> – Time to go. I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, but you, you always come back, especially when the children start being yeah. born. They want to have their kids grow up here. Yeah. Because they have such great memories of being safe, of being wholesome yeah. and outdoors and yeah. all that stuff. So um, that's great. So if anybody wants to help you out, what do they do? 
They can uh, – thank you. <laughs> yeah, they can go to our website at www.ptvermont.org. Yeah. And uh, and I would encourage you, even if you don't uh, want to make a donation, go there and just see some of the projects we're yes, involved absolutely. in and the ways in which we can help. Very uh, good community. website. Very yeah, good. Thank you. Um, that's really cool. So we only have about five minutes, Ben, and I just wanted to make sure we've covered everything you'd like to cover. Um, people can still comment about what they hope to see. Um, if you go on the um, Montpelier Strong? Yeah, you can go to the Montpelier Strong oh, right. website, or if you want to contact the commission, you can reach us at um, MontpelierFloodCommission.org. Right. Or, excuse me, MontpelierFloodCommission at gmail.com ah. uh, is our email address. Yeah. So um, you can do that. And, uh, you know, again, I think the work of the commission is really about finding ways for the larger community to be engaged in this work. Right. Right. So I think moving forward, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for people to um, try and plug into these projects. And we certainly um, encourage people to send us their ideas because, you know, this isn't a city function. This isn't a state function. It's like. Nobody's coming to rescue, right. you know, these we communities. Like, we got to do it together, yep. you know? Well, which is odd as, as it should be. Yeah. Um, so um, I want to thank you for coming on. I also just want to um, remind you what we started out the program, that Barry yeah. is, is doing the same thing that Montpelier has been doing, and it's very important. The first meeting is October 18th, which is tomorrow, at the Barry Opera House, 5.30 to 7.30. They'll have a break into focus groups. Um, one is on housing. One is on social and community well-being, and the other in, is on infrastructure and planning, which uh, I know they lost a lot of houses in Barry. They uh, did. On the north s- end. North end, yeah. Yeah. You know, I just shout out, though, that they have some incredible local leadership in Barry, right. uh, in the in the city and in the community. I mean, that yeah. you know. Yeah. It's an incredibly tight community, yeah. and uh, they got a long road ahead of them, but yeah. they're doing good work. That's great. We're all in this together, folks, yeah. and uh, don't uh, lose sight of the fact that Everybody needs help. Yeah. And you know what's great? People ask for help, and that's a good thing. Yeah, you shouldn't thing. be feel bad about that. Just yell for help. So thank you. We're going to um, sign off in just a minute. Okay. We can talk another second or two. <laughs> but next Thursday, I have... <laughs> I have one minute to gab. I have Bill Fraser coming on board, and um, he's going to talk about, uh, again, about Montpelier. Um, but as I just said Early on, just because the building looks good, yeah. look behind the door because yeah. what a mess! It's a tough one, you it's know. And one. oh, I know what I—I um, I don't know if you've ever been involved in this. When I was commissioner of personnel in 1991, which is what Montpelier just did, they send away all of the wet papers. Yes. <laughs> to get um, uh, what do they call it when when like freeze dry? Yeah, freeze dry. Right? Yeah. It's like coffee. They put it in this giant building and they freeze dry it, take out all the water, all of the dirt and disgusting things are all now able to be brushed off the document and then they copy the document and there you go. There it is. All done. Great. Great. You don't want to know what's in the water. All right, I, I folks. I just want to thank you for the thank opportunity. You. Really appreciate it. Well, that's great. That's great. Thank you. Nice meeting you, Ben. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. See you on Thursday.